Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer, Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the Digital Workspace inner workings. Simon, welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. Do you want to give us a, a quick introduction? Yes, uh, pleasure to be here. I'm Simon Clifford. I, I was formerly Director of Digital Data for um, uh, Police ICT Company, now Police Digital Service. Before that, I was Director of Digital Transformation for Northamptonshire Police, uh, the Policing Office of the Police and Crime Commissioner. So I've been in policing for the last five years. I've now left, um, set up my own company uh, to support uh, digital and public protection uh, called Clip42. Lovely. So we started chatting about the um, the Wardley mapping technique, um, which is the one thing I wanted to sort of learn from you and, and have you applied it. And then you can maybe give us some some more stories around being in the police world. Well, uh, well, absolutely. And um, it's it, it's certainly distinct. Uh, I was in the private industry prior to working in policing. I've got twenty plus years experience of that. And I'm being modest because I'm 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 an old boy. Um, yes. And. Uh, yeah, ultimately it's a 24-7, 365. It, it sounds trite to say it, but that that does taint um, everything you do. And equally, you can't say this is our target demographic or our target market. It is cradle to grave. So that colors what you do. And given that it's law enforcement, security is always front of mind uh, because there are people that want to interrupt our core business. So there's there's lots of peculiarities in in, in policing and public protection. Um, and, and again, <laughs> counter to a lot of the uh, listeners, I'm sure in the private sector, we want less customers, not more. Um, yes. so, so ultimately, it's, it's how do we do that? Um, and, and certainly going into that space, um, you know, I was much like, um, I'm sure lots of people are listening, um, blind to a lot of what um, policing actually is uh, in terms of prepare and prevent stuff. People don't see that as much. And it's a large amount of what uh, policing is doing. Policing is most effective when crime isn't happening <laughs> uh, because yeah. they prevented it from happening. That's a really good thing. Clearly, we see the um, cars with blue lights, etc. But there are countless challenges in large governmental organizations. This is police and this is other organizations. And those are uh, cultural, technical, um, and, and, and many other things. And that's the challenge. You know, I, I, I went in with uh, a whole bunch of hubris thinking that I'm going to identify problems that uh, they've never even seen because of this work, some of the stuff I was doing in the private sector. Uh, and actually, policing is full of things that it's no surprise is a problem. Um, but it just struggles with a giving uh, a, a nothing's priority, you know, that, that classic, you can't boil the ocean piece. Um, but but absolutely how you can not, you know, how you deduplicate, how you actually uh, make progress um, when, when you're talking about an organization of, you know, north of 200,000 people uh, with national reach across incredibly complex, um, different business types, uh, the structure's quite complex. We've got regional forces, we've got regional organized crime units, we've got the NCA, and we've got external partners that um, are in some way or another involved in law enforcement. You know, every, every corporate entity, every, every business of a certain scale has you know, um, uh, either an anti-fraud department or or something looking into sort of criminality and ultimately how, you know, how, how we interact with that, how we support local authorities, et cetera. So it's a, it's a complicated beast and ultimately, 
And my job, to some extent, was trying to uh, create some uh, simple narratives to help actually inject some progress into um, some of these really uh, challenging problems. What are your thoughts? I mean, just with the, the recent um, Euro final and people sort of running into the, the stadium, I mean, was that something that could have been prevented? Well, I mean, I would, I, I mean, certainly even outside of the police, you know, I would step on the toes of those inside. It's, it's, it's what I would say is it's always a very delicate balance uh, between yeah. over policing and under policing. Um, and, and equally, there are a very b- bizarre, if you're a layperson, kind of um, things that happen because of police presence. So, you know, if, if, if yeah. a lot of people turn up outside pubs, uh, in some cases, a fight is more likely to to break out than not, because um, the people are fighting with full of bravado. They don't really want to fight, and they know the police will stop it. <laughs> As opposed yeah. to if you get into a fight, that guy might kill me. So actually, putting the police on the street in some cases might even uh, incite that piece. And again, putting people in full riot gear um, can be uh, deemed as kind of confrontational by protesters. Right? So, so there's a really delicate piece in terms of the visibility of policing, but it's certainly not my specialty. Um, yeah. you know, uh, the, the, ultimately, I can tell you uh, with absolute conviction that, that, that um, all the people I've worked with in policing, operational officers and, and civilians, you know, they want to keep keep the, the, the streets calm and, uh, mm. and, and prevent harm. It, it, it was very disappointing uh, what happened uh, at the final in so many ways, um, but absolutely, mm. even if we had won the game, um, what ha- was happening on the street was very disappointing. Yeah, look, and I'm going through that at the moment in South Africa, this is the same sort of thing. We've got a bunch of people looting and, and uh, stealing, and it's also disappointing because it's just, you know, it's the, the few ruin for the many. Um, and that's, that's just... Yeah, unacceptable. Um, so let's, let's talk about the Woodley maps then. So, so how, yeah. how did you come across this and, and how have you used it? Yeah, so uh, Wardley mapping, I've, I've, I've been, I adopted the the concept of Wardley mapping about a decade ago. Um, there, there was, um, uh, back, back in sort of 2009, 10, um, after the sort of economic downturn, I kind of, uh, returned to England, uh, having lived abroad for some years, and um, kind of threw myself into the whole um, uh, meetup scene and 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 sort of reconnecting. And there's a lot of stuff going on around Shoreditch at the time, etc. And there was one event called uh, Cloud Camp, which was talking about this widespread adoption of cloud back in 2009. Yeah, and um, and and it was all it, it was organised in part by Simon Wardley, who who invented Wardley mapping, and. He, he never promoted the technique. He just demonstrates it to simplify really complex paradigms. And, and ultimately, I'd, I'd always been at the sort of uh, cutting edge, bleeding edge of organizations trying to sort of get that next competitive advantage, et cetera, et cetera. And I just found it a very simple way of um, structuring and framing paradigms to non-technical people. I didn't realize quite how revolutionary it was at the time. It was almost matter of fact that you just threw that. And this is, this is how you deserve to describe something. Um, so I didn't realize it, it was, wasn't widely, widely, uh, widely accepted and known <laughs> good for five years. But I internalized it very, very quickly. It's a, it's a little bit like somebody showing you how to play drafts. You know, yeah. once you've seen the rules, you, you've got the rules. It's, it's not complicated. To be a draft, you know, a competitive drafts player is is years and years of practice. And I think that's a good analogy for Wardley mapping. Um, but but 
but but certainly it really came into its own. It, it helped me in my career advising businesses in the private sector, um, but it really came into its own when I uh, went into policing, partly because of the gap between um, business users, executive management, and IT uh, in terms of the language barrier. Um, yeah. You know, my my roles were pretty senior, working with non-technical. Certainly, they're technical stakeholders, but that they're, they're kind of my tribe. I can talk talk to that. Um, but actually, it's the non-technical stakeholders really understanding the the depth of impact the technologies would have. You know, and and COVID's a great example of that. You know, all the technologies that are used over COVID to to do this type of thing. You know, uh, Teams or or Cisco or Skype or any of these technologies, they 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 had very narrow use cases pre. Pre-COVID, right? Um, yeah. And 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 people were procuring things, saying, "Oh, well, we need this for teleconferencing. If we're doing a regional working group, we need to maybe you know, we might not want, want to travel, or if there's a sudden emergency meeting we want to do, we've got to have some video conferencing." It's very '90s paradigm. Rather than yeah. thinking this is transformation to the way we do business, and also it's a it's an element of resilience. Um, that is a big missed. That was. Um, and still is to a large extent a, bit, a big missed opportunity, narrowing down through the process of ideation through to procurement, that you narrow down the, the, the scope based on the business case. Uh, and the business case, um, when you're actually in the business, is, is just about saying, what you know, what value premise do we need to actually drop this into my use case? Um, but typically, um, yeah, a lot of people in an organization don't see the bigger picture. So all they can focus on is their narrow part of the business from, from my perspective yeah. about saying look you know what, what we, we, do, we don't want a different video conferencing system for the c-suite that we do for uh, middle management we don't want a different video conferencing platform for um for 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 uh, uh, corporate meetings as we do with public so 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 that language of of deduplicating mm-hmm. yeah increasing the scope is is, is much more easily uh, demonstrated in more mapping, but also just personally, um, there's there's a whole bunch of doctrines built into um, the thinking behind Wally mapping. And again, it's very flexible, and it's not the only thing that I apply in terms of the thinking, but it's yeah. just useful to sort of as a skeleton to hang thinking across and and and, and as a common language. And common language is part of it, but you know th- things like open, you know, biasing towards open, you know, challenging assumptions are literally. Um, Wally Mapping 101. But what's also very, very powerful about it is if you actually do a bit of a workshop, and I like shorter workshops, you know, an hour and a half, two hours is plenty. Uh, yeah. you know, all day or multi-day are hard work for everybody. Nobody's kind of willing to go to those. But it's amazing what you can crack through um, in a Wally Mapping session uh, where you're just saying, look, just tell me top to bottom in plain language what your what your requirements are and then and then you can sort of go off seed and and validate some of the technology etc cetera, etc cetera. that's really really helpful because actually people placing whether something is sort of bespoke or uh, custom built or uh, off the shelf from their perspective um is incredibly incredibly helpful because again that that lends to actual um organizational um uh language so 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 what's standard um you know what's um standard language in policing is all about the training it's all around existing policing policies for for within policing that's completely normal it's understanding the uh the different forms that you fill in to get a witness statement and or or to do a charge decision etc um 
those are standardized common pieces of language that's really useful uh, so you want to explore those but, the, but 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 it's really helpful in terms of pushing against the, the bias towards parochialism and, and and one of the major challenges we have across policing is is um and and, and by the way it genuinely comes from the best of intentions <laughs> but what do they say about best intentions the the it, you know every force wants to do the best they possibly can but if they all do the best they can in a different way then you don't have any harmonization and and and, and pretty much any serious case review you see where something's gone seriously wrong it's because information wasn't flown um and and and, and large time that's not because there's a lack of um, the key people that are trying to protect individuals involved, you know, the, the reviewers reviewing, um, it's it's just that, that there was a breakdown in the workflow in terms of the the, the information systems and authorities, et cetera, et cetera. And that's partly because of the overcomplexity uh, due to sort of that protocol design. So when you're looking at sort of national scale technologies, um, it's really helpful to bring people into a room from these different organizations. I mean, it's all policing to you and I in the public, yes. but there's 43 regional forces. There's the National Crime Agency. There's regional ghost crime units. These are um, these are different things. These are several things that can make their own decisions, <laughs> and that's just within policing. And then that there's a, clearly a dependency, you know, to the CPS, the court service, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Does that so, help clarify? Sorry. Yeah. So, so I guess I mean, what's the um, so, so Wardley Map is, is, from my understanding, at least, is, is, is two axes yes. where you've got your functionality basically going down one axis, and yes. you and you cross you, you cross um, capturing, I guess, to put that on the on the same on the, on the other axis to prioritize it. Is that is that the right understanding? That, that that's exactly right. So um, across the bottom, it's basically talking about maturity, and and again, this doesn't just talk to, to technology; it can talk to policy, it can talk yeah. to uh, practice, etc. Any of that stuff can be mapped. That's really, again, that's really important, which I'll come back to. Um, but basically, everything comes from a point of genesis. Oh, I've got a bright idea. Wouldn't it be good if we could all work from home, right? A genesis idea. And then you go into custom build. How would we actually build that? And you've done it a couple of times, so now you're using common components. Uh, and that moves into such a stage that we say, well, actually, we've got you know, something we're going to call Teams or, or, or Skype, and it's a product. Yeah. And you can literally pull it off the shelf, and it'll come with those, those features. And then it becomes a utility. It's just become so ubiquitous to our lives. To be honest, that sounds like the journey of uh, uh, video conferencing almost uh, over COVID, doesn't it? Um, it is just like absolutely hardwired. This is a core tool. We can't be in business without it. Um, that's everything from you know, electricity to to, um, to to phone lines or all, all those things. Um, so that's sort of left to right. Top to bottom, um, that is where you focus on proximity to use. And that's, again, a very important axis. So, so the key key about awardly uh, map is um, positioning has meaning. You can yeah. identify things by virtue of that. Uh, and top to bottom is uh, it, the top is broadly the anchor, uh, referred to as the anchor. But but ultimately that means you know uh, who is this study? From what lens is this map a representation? There's clearly a map of some technology that policing uses. 
um, that relates to the public might be different from policing. It might be different from police officers as it is police civilian stuff, et cetera, et cetera. So again, there's, there's, because ultimately it's about the proximity of the technology. I, if I talk to a smart speaker, I won't say her name because uh, she'll trigger off. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, that would be at the top because if I'm the user and I, I want to have a, a, a query that is search enabled, Technology, um, I would need an endpoint device that has a microphone that's in <laughs> So the device would be right at the top of the map. And then you connect that where you need voice recognition, that needs to connect to a server, that needs to do a query engine, blah, blah, blah. We'd be going further and further down the stack. And ultimately, you know, if you wanted to host your own voice enabled um, querying device, you know, where would that computer, would that be an on-prem computer? Would that be a cloud computer You know, from you know, a, a product or a custom-built server that's got a very special requirement yeah. in that because you need to do a whole bunch of audit, um, as opposed to something on-prem? And, and, and equally, uh, from the left to right piece, there's some, there's some um, really important uh, understanding that the positioning gives you that actually further to the left, it lends itself to Agile. But Agile isn't the solution to all things. With Agile, you, there's a lot of um, inherent costs. You've got, you know, with rapid change, um, it's quite hard to scale a rapidly changing environment just from a training perspective. You know, if you're changing the build of software every day or every week, um, if you're the user that's not an expert user, that's challenging. You log in this morning and it's different to what it was when you put it in down at night. You kind of all. You kind of want some stability. So, so in terms of, whilst it's fantastic in terms of rapid design and evolution in agile space, um, there are some things you want kind of stable. You don't want a new power plug every week um, that you need to change all your electronic devices to plug into the wall with. That wouldn't be healthy at all. That would be kind of an agile piece. So, so, so the, the more to the right, the, the lower cost and the more scalable something is. Uh, more to the left, the more uh, flexible and responsive it is. Um, and, and again, that's why the positioning has meaning because it, uh, it informs a the types of people that are you know some people tend towards agile projects, some people tend to sort of six sigma projects. You know, uh, you know, attitude and attitude of the people is really key, and breaking things down to small teams. You know, you know we know this from sort of Virgin or, or AWS. You know, these organizations recognize small teams are enormously valuable, but the right mm. people in those teams. You know, if you've got yeah. somebody who is completely focused on uh, procurement processes, pace isn't their top of their agenda. Procurement processes are. <laughs> and on yeah. the right-hand side, when you're spending 10 million pounds or more, yeah, a large amount of um, money, private or public, um, you want to go through those steps, but equally not at the cost of the wider benefit. Yeah. Penny-wise, pound foolish is what we used to say. Yeah, yeah. Does that give you a bit of an overview that, that's, that's clear? Yeah. It does. Um, you know, in my head, I'm trying to trying to apply it to a project, and I'm trying to trying to think about what are the questions you ask, like how do you start, and then how do you make sure you you know it's almost that are oh, you doing it right? Um, you know, I always have that nagging feeling. Am I doing this the right yeah. way? So, so I'll, I'll give you an example. So, um, uh, early in my journey in policing, I, I worked in Northamptonshire Police. I was a director of digital transformation there, working for uh, the PCC there, who had a real uh, focus on the digital agenda and 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 was uh, was recognising uh, as an, an elected police and crime commissioner, cyber crime being one of the areas that um, he recognised was it, it, it wasn't in the in the public zeitgeist as much then as it is these days, albeit it's still I, I would argue not enough. Um, yeah. So I set up a a cyber cluster um, um, 
the first uh, cyber cluster coming out of the uh, police headquarters at the time. This was back in 2017, I think. Um, and and what we had is, you know, uh, this is North Hampshire. North Hampshire is um, very geographically central to the country. The cost of land is quite cheap. We've got a lot of back office functions. So we had um, um, small businesses, SMEs, and also corporate businesses. And we invited sort of people from their security teams to come along. And we'd have people from uh, policing there. So we could have this regular dialogue. It's it a regular uh, monthly meeting. And it still goes on to this day, the, the, the cluster that I set up. Um, and one of my early conversations was, yeah, what's it like working with yeah. the police? You know, do you report all your incidents? And the answer was no, absolutely not. I <laughs> thought, so, well, why not? Well, if you call 999, they don't, they don't know how to respond to, to, to a cybercrime. They say go to action fraud, and action fraud um, is 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 imperfect. It's it's going through a procurement. I want to be sensitive to my colleagues, uh, former colleagues, but um, it's very lengthy and it's very um, one size fits all in terms of the response. So whether you're a whether you're a cyber professional or, or Joshua Republic, the steps you're going to go through are exactly the same. And, and long story short, it takes 45 minutes to report. And long story short, there's an overwhelming amount of traffic going in there. And a lot of it's well, yeah, extra jurisdictional. I, it's very challenging for UK law enforcement to do much with because it's coming out of you know, Russia or, or, yeah. or another state that's it's outside of our jurisdiction. It becomes inherently more complex. And again, there's, there's, there's a law of diminishing returns going on there. Yeah. So... So ultimately, it was about so applying kind of the the worldly mapping techniques. It was about understanding the user, and the user was look. The reality of public protection or government is is money follows demand. <laughs> in a, in the best case, you have to be able to demonstrate the demand to say I need uh, money to solve this problem. Because what problem? <laughs> What's the measurable? What's the metric that I'm actually wanting to spend money on? So clearly, uh, there's a there's a real negative consequence to people not recording cybercrime. But equally, you can see why they don't because they're being you know they're being attacked on a daily basis, and they'd rather spend that hour <laughs> limiting the damage or, or stopping it happening again than um, something that they do to help police out uh, and yeah. not get anything returned. So so that so that has, was a problem. That you know, I expanded upon and, and I used Wardley mapping in terms of understanding what we needed to do. Yeah. Ultimately, what we need to do is have a really lean approach to getting incidents reported. Um, and off the back of that, um, using mapping, I broke down what, what was the requirement and what was the benefit to policing. I um, look fundamentally from our side, if you if you do report that crime and it does get picked up, it will go yeah. through actual fraud and then refer, referred back out. Um, we put investigators on it. And that's old school policing <laughs> in terms of they would come to your office and they would look at yeah. the computer, they'd try and download some log files and then they'd try and do all that forensic stuff. And that was an incredibly expensive process, especially given the volume. It doesn't scale to cybercrime. Uh, and, and to be honest, nine out of 10 times it's going to come from extra jurisdiction, which means it kind of stops there. Um, you know, we can send an email to Russia, they're not going to reply. Right. So, so at that point, um, it's it's pretty hard. And again, law diminishing returns. We don't have infinite resources. So 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 what we created was saying, look, ultimately the user need, we need the metrics to say, um, A, what's the volume of actual cyber attacks? And B, um, what's you know, what what is that 
um, extra jurisdictional piece. There's a lot of other countries that aren't UK. <laughs> so, you know, you know, we want to inform our our partners in wider government to say that if you're if you're going to go see Putin, if you're going to go you know to India, if you're going to go to you know North Korea or whatever, be armed with this data and say, look, this this level of threat is coming from you. Um, so so you know, broadly mapping was an approach by which we could break down what the requirements could be. It allowed us to importantly pick a lot of technology that was basically off the shelf technology. Um, and again, yep. there's a, you know, tend towards off the shelf, um, use open standards. So, and, and, and again, I'm sure a lot of your listeners, this is very native stuff. It, it, it's just like, what's your technology? Yeah, in, in tech terms, it's what's your technology stack. And, and ultimately it's a stack. It connects together seamlessly. What are the requirements that it needs to do? But ultimately when you're creating something that hasn't existed before, there's some particular user requirements around that in terms of you know, making, you know, what's the benefits of policing? Well, we want to capture it better. We want to focus our attention on the stuff that uh, adds most value. And then ultimately get a prosecution. So it needs to be submissible in, in court. Well, log files uh, are not a particularly forensic thing. They're, they're just text files on a yeah. server. Um, you do get vexatious complaints, complaints. It's a minority, but we also always have to be critical. You have a critical eye to any report of crime. You know, not every rape report is 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 true. Um, I, undoubtedly, most are, but some are vexatious. I'm angry with this 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 uh, former lover. I'm going to say they raped me because people do these terrible things. Yeah. Um, but yeah. likewise, you, you you can apply it. So you need. You know, you need really good uh, evidential kind of scrutiny. So, so we created this system. It is based largely based on corporate scene products, which small businesses can't afford, but put a layer on top. And when you map that, it basically says, this is our existing process. This is the stuff that you can't get off the shelf. You know, the the the, the, the stuff that um, makes it evidentially submittable, that, that geolocates attack, et cetera, et cetera. And ultimately creates a quid pro quo because then again, working with the user, another core premise within the worldly mapping doctrine of good practices is understanding their need. And ultimately one of the bigger needs was whilst I was having very senior stakeholders come to this meeting, um, <laughs> techies are often the unloved one. <laughs> we, we power the businesses, but technology is often not loved and 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 the and the the security subset within that technology grouping <laughs> is love the least <laughs> right yeah. so so when you're if if you're a CISO uh, and you're asking for more money your native language doesn't work well with your board right yeah so actually we picked up that as a requirement from their side of the fence right so so Long story short, we, we, we were able to frame the user needs from the client side, either member of the public that we'd like to report um, criminal incidents, um, make approach, uh, an approach that was very, very, um, very simple to use. And the net result of that is something that's called police cyber alarm. Uh, uh, anybody, anybody in the UK can uh, use this technology. It can be applied for you by police. It's, it, it's paid for by police. It's free of charge. And ultimately, it just allows you to to share um, log file data in real time. You, you you download a piece of software, you sign up for, to the program, you know what it's collecting. Uh, there's okay. no there's no personal data about it. Uh, but ultimately, it will analyze those log files in real time for um, attack vectors. 
Yeah. And ultimately, we can capture that information, and that is really helpful to us in terms of, A, if there's some serious criminality, um, investigating that criminality, taking it to court, and importantly, getting a lot of that um, scale of demand. And, and that's really, really helpful when you get these emerging uh, new types of crime coming up, because it's about satiating the, 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 the demand. How can we quickly identify that there's a a new serious demand, again, which could never have been done at the, at the required pace of cyber, um, and actually being able to, to deploy a fix. We can do this by creating this kind of sense network. Now, that couldn't have been achieved within a, a reasonable timescale or timeline. And again, there were there were there were other projects that I became aware of after I'd kind of built this thing <laughs> that yeah. had been in going in the rounds that were just saying, is there a way we could get technology to identify international threat actors? <laughs> On its own, and 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 um, some significant um, money was was seized and invested in different places to that, and failed because the approach was wrong. The the cyber alarm pilots, a technology that is largely um, it's mostly tweaked today, but it's largely what I built sort of five years ago. Um, took best part of three four months, um, and that's including the whole internal internal process to get sign off. So oh, wow. we got internal sign off and built a solution in sub six months that's now yeah. rolled out technology um, that was only going to go from strength to strength, and and that was because we didn't duplicate effort, we didn't build anything that wasn't already out there, we reused as, as possible, and we and we and, and again, you know, this was twenty seventeen. And I thought, come on, you know, think big, start small, scale fast. I didn't coin that phrase, <laughs> and it certainly wasn't fresh in 2017. But going out the gate, so look, this may fail, and if it fails, that's not wasted too much money. But if it succeeds, um, we don't just need a cyber response in Northamptonshire. We've got to think national. So from the outset, we said, well, how does this model in? And again, that's where actually the the, the wider structure and existing um, backbone of police technology programs work well because I passed it Northamptonshire with 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 sovereign funding from from Northamptonshire, and then to extend the pilot to the East Midlands region, which ran for another year, um, I just connected into a national program that was already looking to invest in the stuff, and they yeah. they knew all the problems but had no idea in terms of dealing with the solutions. I mean, no idea. They were still struggling with. With with some of the solution, this you go here is pre-made um, solution. We've already tested in one 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 county in this in this region. How about we expand it out? We did. Yeah. It was successful, and and now that's a national roller. And and arguably, um, that could go out multinationally. The principle is there's no point in deploying technology if it's unaffordable. Uh, the principle is you know you know it, it's really more about the thematic approach you're trying to do in business. It's about being more competitive. That's your overarching piece of delivering new services that people like, but not trying to create something that's so far beyond the, the realms of possibility that will put you out of business putting all your own, <laughs> yeah, yeah. all your profit into there forever. So you've got to sort of you know, put a dose of pragmatism. Um, but 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 equally, I would argue that where this is incredibly useful in sort of national program paradigms is is that, that a lot of um, you know misinformed, outdated thinking going into large scale procurement says we have to have one solution that does all of these things. And you know from a from a small business outlook perspective, you go well, 
Yeah, that's clearly not a fault. Yeah, ERP is a good example. Well, you know, you look at an enterprise ERP, it's a million pounds, it's a, it's, it's a year project. Well, yeah. what does it actually do? <laughs> yeah, I need invoicing, I need payroll. I can get all of those things for, for, for little amount, amounts of money. How about I just bolt all those cheap things together and it gives me an ERP for a tenth or a hundredth of the cost? From me as a businessman, wouldn't that be sensible? Um, and, and that's where public sector needs to sort of wake up to it. But it's one of those things that it's just not helpful to tell people you're right, uh, I'm right, you're wrong. Yeah. They have to come with you on the journey. And, and that really lends itself to the stakeholder piece, um, which is why uh, mapping is so helpful, both from the user perspective, but also at the corporate. Because there's a real distance between sort of sea level and um, the middle tier. So you might have great vision at the top, but it's implemented poorly because, uh, you know, loss in translation somewhere down the line. You, you, yeah. you, can, you can bring people around the table to, uh, much more effectively with techniques like this. And I wouldn't say a worldly map is perfect for everybody, but for people that go through the process, it's helpful. And that allows you to synthesize much higher quality insights. And most importantly, get effective results. You know, I applied this technique to every project I was involved with. And I have a pretty good uh, reputation in terms of actually delivering programs, <laughs> consistently delivering programs on time, typically under budget, um, because the technique of you know, just deduplicating. You know, yeah. the, I was always going on about. I want to know. Yeah, I, I was re a real fan of not invented here. If somebody else has fixed this problem, and it's and it's meet all my needs and it's affordable and it's scale, it's actually. I'll just use yours. <laughs> Why would I want to try and reinvent that? Uh, yet that still happens far too much. Yeah, I mean, I think it's some, some banking examples where I remember you know, sitting in a meeting and you find out that you've got 25 tools that do the same thing. And That's someone awesome. wants to bring in a 26th one because, you know, they've, they've, been, they've been enamored by one piece of functionality that it brings. Instead of cutting back the 25 down to three or two or whatever the, the thing is. Because it's. Well, I mean, Banking is a great example because it's such a highly profitable sector. You can hide you know, in the private sector. You can hide a lot of technical failure in just yeah. the massive you've got, right? Um, and, and certainly, you know, how do you measure what's the right amount of money to spend on something? And, and, and certainly, that's something I've looked at within policing. So, um, we spend about a billion and a half uh, pounds a year on technology. That's that's everything. Uh, well, it's kind of everything. It's it's a, it's, it's an agreed number. Yeah. As of a couple of years ago, uh, people, hardware, software, you know, the whole whole estate. But that's on a 12 and a half or odd billion kind of spend. Yeah, so that's about 11.3, 11.4%, um, which if you compare that to private sector, banking securities are typically the upper end of that, and about 6 or 7% of their turnover is that space. Um, but things like, you know, constructions in the like one and a half, uh, <laughs> because most of it's materials and people, right? Um, yeah. But 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 if you take that one and a half billion, saying well, actually, uh, um, we're twelve point. Yeah, do the maths. It's it's best part of a, a, a Delta bank, maybe half a billion pounds, and and that and and you know, and that's compared to banking and security. And I tell you, we we hemorrhage people all day long um, to yeah. banking. <laughs> all bank fraud departments are like a former police officer, right? And. Yeah. And um, you know, we give them really high quality training. They they are they are motivated to do good, and they'll get a twenty grand bump, pretty much out the gate, whatever role, <laughs> uh, going across the corporate. Um, so so banking is paying more for its people, but it's still paying 
a large degree less. And that's partly because of uh, duplication, um, outdated techniques. Um, and, and again, it's not that we have bad people. It's not that we have um, bad thinking. It's about the frame of reference. It's what you can see. It's blinkered visibility. And, and largely that's about security that's about culture um you know security 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 the first three questions you need to talk about when you're talking about technology and policing um yeah. but equally in terms of um there was a kind of uh, a recognizing that you know if you know if you wanted to do things quickly do them on your own <laughs> you want to do them the right way you do them together but slowly and yeah. and ultimately lack of pace is a death now to programs um, because it just creates this expectation that's, you know, mm. tomorrow. But, you know, so many programs are like, you know, this is going to be amazing. This is going to make this all better. It's all going to be shiny and amazing. Uh, it'll be here in two years' time. Yeah. And you pretty much know that you, you've already switched off most of the audience because particularly, and again, in policing, there's, 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 you get this in the corporate world in terms of people's, uh, People staying within within roles, but but culturally, certainly for for warranted officers, um, if you're going up the kind of going up the ranks, um, certainly above certain ranks, there's an expectation that you understand the whole business. There's a lot of departments in policing, uh, yeah, for, you know, for, for serious organised crime to to, to neighbourhood policing, you know, to domestic abuse. So those are different units. So if you are going up, up the ranks, uh, inspector and above, you're expected to have a good understanding of all the different areas of policing, from you know, the control rooms to firearms policing, etc. Um, so, so what what happens is you'll have a tenure of maybe two years per job. So if you're six, 12 months into a role, you're only going to be there another 12 months, and then you'll be cycled out. If you are sitting now on a board that's going to deliver in two years' time, you show up and you will read the papers and you'll give them your two pennies worth, but you're not going to, it's not going to impact any of the output that you're going to be responsible. You're, you're yeah. paying it forward. Right. And that's fine. But equally something that says, look, by the way, you have this massive challenge. Do you want to do well? And I'm going to drop something that's going to start actually giving you positive impact within three months. The attitude completely changes. Right. And I'd rather give something, something less, but quickly, the mm. promise on the earth and it'd be two years away because that two years will invariably slip to three and four and beyond and we, we're, there's countless examples of that across government and private sector yeah yeah well that's exactly it but if it's far away it just, it's easier to expand it you know, it's like I can pierce the law or something if you say it's going to take two years um, and I mean uh, it, it's it's something that, that I appreciate about the agile approach where you're releasing something every week um, and you're experimenting with it as opposed to some sort of big bang um, approach, but it doesn't scale to 120,000 officers, right? You don't want to be releasing, um, you know, people that literally have a whole, a very full day every single day they turn yeah. up with perfect, and 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 what they're doing is incredibly important. Not knowing how to do something so that it's done wrong that means that you can't actually get a prosecution if somebody's done something very bad. That's unacceptable. So, so it's about, you know, going through private, but just concatenating the timescales, concatenating the expectation of fixing everything and, and, and working to the thematic. How do we make, you know, and AI and automation are really good examples of that. Uh, and, and certainly an, another element of the Wardley map piece is something that I've been 
really focused on over the last um, couple of years in policing and also in 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 with my with my new company is about layering different strata within it. So so if if you take the example of cyber alarm or public contact or or various other things. Um, it's about saying, here's our process design, here's our technology that maps it. That's very conventional. And, and there's a great report uh, for people who want to know more. If, if you look on the, uh, do search on Google or, or any other search, <laughs> search thing uh, for, for uh, GCHQ boiling frogs. And, and and again, that talks about how GCHQ is using this technology to unpick really complex technologies um, years ago. And again, it was applying this technology. And again, AWS uses this, this approach as well. Um, uh, but 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 ultimately breaking um, um, breaking things down to small steps, but also understanding, you know, when we talk about the cyber piece, you know, legis- when we talk about cyber, we talk about um, a whole bunch of crimes, one slavery. Um, there's different jurisdictions in terms of legality. There's ethical postures to consider, right? So that can be mapped to, you know, what is the maturity of the ethics around using. Um, automation AI in identifying fingerprints. Yeah. It's quite a mature set, set. using gate analysis or facial recognition. Um, a, the technology is less mature. B, the ethics is definitely not as mature as it should be. It's it's more mature than it was two, three years ago. Um, yeah. Given some, 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 some positions that have come out of the information commissions office. But again, you can map that in terms of its maturity evolution. It'll only get more understood, not less. Yeah. Yeah. And that's helpful. You know, when it's when everybody accepted it's ethically okay to do use technology in this context here, you know, you know, and 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 from my perspective, once you identify that this is something that you kind of need to get to a good communicated stance, you know, from, from my perspective, using AI to identify weapons on CCTVs is a really good use of AI. You know, ultimately, there's hundred thousand cameras across London. Uh, how do you identify somebody's walking out of a chill, getting out of a car with an AK-47? you don't have eyes on 100,000 cameras simultaneously. AI can pick that up and say, hey, uh, Mr. Operator, maybe you want to look at this. I think I've identified a gun in the street. I don't think many of the public would have a problem in us using artificial intelligence for that. Uh, I I do think people would have a problem in terms of sort of um, a Chinese-esque kind of monitoring of our our whereabouts 24-7. And those are poles apart. The technology is in common, um, yeah. The applications different. That's an ethical piece, and from my perspective, just get over the line. Do the ethical yeah. consideration. Make a call. Make that uh, broadcast it. Publish it. Every police officer can go into that, and, and and that links to some of the work I was doing around standards. Um, that talks of technology and data standards, and again, making a much more open environment. A for partners and technology providers to, to serve us better in terms of what is our a our connectivity. Um, standards, but equally, what are our ethical standards and 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 and, and wider postures? Because actually, we want the private sector to have built better solutions for us, so they're yeah. ready to go. We want to pick off the shelf wherever possible. It, it, you know, um, you know, we have we have this money to spend. We've got the budget, um, yeah. but let's just spend it better for for better public protection. I think. Yeah, it's interesting to bring up facial recognition because I remember reading something about is it called Clearview. Well, there was a company in the States that was doing, they were processing all the faces of Facebook or something. And uh, the, the US um, various legal arms uh, actually were, were not allowed to use it um, because of ethical issues, which I tend to agree with, to be quite honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and again, this is where you need to 
Um, I'm picking, and again, this is not about me. I'm not a professional ethicist, but you can place where ethics should be in the in in the process. You know, you want to tick a box that says proper ethics has been looked at. And again, yeah. like the technology, like saying you know, we want to, we want body worn video, body worn video. Um, the business case for that going through to policing, and it's pretty much ubiquitous in UK policing now. Body worn yeah. video use case was fundamentally about. Um, what, what, what we call internal professional standards, i.e. Yeah. Um, defending police officers from vexatious complaints. Somebody gets arrested, they don't like being arrested, so they're going to say the, the police officer hit me and treated me badly. So yeah. if you've got a video, you can say, um, this is from when he started talking to him, putting yeah. in the van, nothing happened. Those complaints dried up overnight. Um, but equally, if somebody did, that same video is going to be used to discipline that or, or remove that officer. It's, right? We don't want officers that, that act inappropriately like that. So, so that's a really good thing. However, it, it evolved into much greater things. P- people were um, self-improving. You know, we've got this um, government policy, 20,000 new cops. That means we've got a lot more newish cops and, and yeah. um, experienced officers will tell you there's only so much you get from the training. A lot of what is being a police officer is experience of doing. Um, and, and in many cases, people, police officers, because they want to be good and effective and better, we've got a really good quality of police officer in the UK, um, is they're using this material to review how they, how, what their interaction was with, 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 uh, with, uh, um, uh, somebody that they've arrested so that they can answer that, you know, so they can think, oh, cause again, when, when, when the, and I hear of this, I've never done it. Um, but you know, when the adrenaline's up, you know, um, you forget what you said, but you've actually now got a, a perfect representation of I said, yeah, he said this, I said that he said this, I said that I could have done that better. And it's self training. That was nowhere to be seen in the business case. It, for the it's actually improving quality. Yeah. Out of interest, do the, do the police in the UK wear cam- body cameras like the US yeah. do? Oh no, no! Yeah, absolutely. Very widespread. Yeah, body worn video. Um, yeah. But but again, that 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 talks to the wide array IPs. How long we retain it? We we, we have something called Moppy, um, you know, management of police information. I think it is. Um, and and videos within that. And 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 again, depending on whether it's used for prosecution. If it's not, then then uh, the general practice is it's deleted within thirty days because you retain it for thirty days in case a complaint comes in. Yeah. Yeah, right. um, but then you delete it because it's not used evidentially. But I can um, imagine that you had that all stored in a, in a you know cloud environment where it's being processed by algorithms looking for things that the cops might have missed at the time. You know. Ah, yeah, this exactly. I love the way you're thinking. That's exactly the way my my mind thinks. But absolutely, um, that is an incredibly contentious point by certain yeah. civil rights people. Um, and, and, and appropriately, we need to have considered the negative consequences of that. Um, yeah. But consider them, make a position, you know, um, policing, you know, <laughs> one of the, uh, um, a, a, a former colleague who was an ex-chief superintendent um, taught me so much about policing, and I'm ever, forever in his debt for that. Um, and, and one of the things is just this, this understanding that, you know, um, a police officer can take a life to save a life. He can make a judgment to kill somebody to protect that person from killing somebody. Yeah. Um, and they have to, what they, it's a lawful thing to do as long as they can basically explain why that was the case. Um, so, you know, so ultimately, um, 
So ultimately, you know, we, we imbue uh, an awful amount of authority in our warranted officers, you know, the Queen's warrant to, 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 to deprive somebody else of their, their liberty. That's a serious thing. But equally, the technology, we can't just assume that we can look at it for all other kinds of things. So, so there's, a, you know, there's always a proportionality piece that comes into this. And this needs to evolve. And that, again, lends itself to the evolution of practice. Um, yeah. Because, again, I, I use the example of identifying guns. But, you know, if you understand AI, it's just pattern analysis. It's, it's just saying... I'm looking for an object. The, the AI doesn't know it's a gun. You just trained it saying these types of things that happen to be guns. Uh, yep. Look for those. Well, it, it's this, the same technology could be used to use your face or your haircut or your shirt or your logo, right? <laughs> or your license plate. Um, so to blanket saying police shouldn't use uh, AI is to say, well, even for identifying guns in the street for a marauding terrorist attack like Paris, wouldn't it be good to be able to shut that down pretty quickly? Oh, yeah. Well, in that case, yeah. well, okay. is it blanket or not? Now you've given one reason why it's appropriate, but equally you kind of need to unpick that. Yeah, and that's, and that's one of the sort of criticisms of, of the Amazon devices is that they, they have to listen to you in order to trigger, um, which means they are, in theory, hearing what you're saying, even if they're not recording it, they could be recording yeah. it. Yeah, I think you know if you if you ever Kevin Kelly's stuff, um, it's what was it called the the twelve eventualities or something. One of those things is your data is going to go in the cloud, and it's going to be used. It's up to you to decide how much of that is you want to be there or not. And I, and I think that's yeah. I'm I'm no super specialist on Amazon. I don't want to pick them out particularly, but just you know um, you, you know smart speakers. Yeah. Um, it has to be listening for the trigger word, and that is, I, I understand, kept locally, because yeah. it's only a an activation word, right? That's certainly the line that they've been putting out, and and likewise, increasingly on phone devices as well, that um, you know, auto, you know, auto translate with Google and all these types of things. That's done on the device. Yeah. Now, whether you trust or not that they're secretly taking a. That, there's a lot. That's a lot of data if you're taking raw WAV files, right? <laughs> or even MP3. Right. Not exactly. I mean, I'm trying to explain it to, to my parents. What's the business case for storing yeah. all of that chatter? Quite frankly, yeah. I mean, even if you justify it, um, but 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 again, it's it's a lack of understanding. People just emotively jump to conclusions. If you say, look, this is our policy. We, you know, policing is explainable. We do this because we've made this decision. We think this is a proportion. There's there's uh, uh, there's checks and balances. No, no, and, and that's it. I mean, I've tried to explain that to my in-laws and my parents that that you know these devices are are doing these things a certain way. They wouldn't be you know generally accepted in the industry if they were were not doing that. And of course, we had that stage where they were actually were taking the recordings to a centralized place where contractors were actually reviewing the data. Um, but as I say, there's almost a uh, there's a convenience risk that you that you, you swap out. So, well, I'm I'm happy for them to hear my recordings. As long as the tool gets better, um, and I'm not talking about you know personally, I'm not talking about things that I'm too worried about it's recording. Um, yeah, and one thing is that look, what I would say is, is government and its use of technology isn't isn't in a vacuum. Okay, and mm -hmm. and and this is what this is one of the really major things that people miss. And you know, I jumped on the 
sort of marauding terrorists tagging you saying, you know, identified yes. guns. Uh, but equally, uh, uh, cybercrime, malware, you know, romance fraud, all these types of things, you know, um, uh, software on your device that's waiting for you to sell your house. It can sit there for multiple years waiting for that transaction so it can see and take your money, right? Yeah. And you'll wipe it out. Um, do you want us to protect you against that? Because ultimately the attack vector is enabled because you're using this technology, uh, laptops and phones and stuff. Do you yeah. want police to protect you in that part of your life or just say, oh, it's toy technology, policing aren't there? Because that is where criminality is moving to, has moved to, and it's a multi-billion pound, pound dollar uh, uh, business. And if we just say it's off limits, we're basically saying uh, everything digital is the wild, wild west, good luck. And yeah. I don't want to live in that world. And I saw an article the other day saying that there's actually VC funders for ransomware teams. So, you know, that, that, that's become a, an, an industry on its own. And it um, further to that, I actually was reading something that um, people that were taking out insurance for, um, well, your, your cyber insurance, really, you know, for being hacked or being um, hit with ransomware, the premiums are going up by three, four hundred percent because it's just happening so often. Yeah. Um, and, the and also what it covers, what it covers. Yeah. I mean, it, maybe it'll recover your technology, will it recover your restoration data? It's, uh, it certainly won't recover your the loss of value of your organization if it's publicly listed, right? So, so, yeah. so again, there's uh, that, that's one of those areas that um, there is so much ground to cover um, and we're not uh, aiming at a, at a, a target that's standing still. The threat, Vector is, is evolving super rapidly. But look, I, I, I'm conscious of time, but I don't want to leave this on a, on a dull note. But the reality is we have enormous resources. A billion and a half quid is a lot of money, and that's just in the UK. And we work very closely with Five Eyes partners and, and, and wider wider partners, so Europe, Interpol, yeah. Europol, Interpol, et cetera, et cetera. We just need to get better at exercising, spending that money well, and sharing good practice. And certainly that's what I'm focused on in the private sector, because ultimately government is recognizing the public sector as a partner in this. Um, yeah. And certainly I'm trying to help catalyze how that works together. Um, yeah. I, uh, I did a project earlier this year with Cabinet Office, and again, just to, to reassure people, that, look, this is across 80,000 users around, uh, across multi-agency. So it's a real example of technology that's being used for uh, environmental um, resilience. So, you know, big snowstorm, or if we have some other issues, there's a platform that's a geospatial platform in our cabinet office. I helped work with some technology providers very large uh, global technology providers. I, I prefer not to use their name. Everybody yeah. knows who they are, knows this organization. But sharing geospatial data around traffic uh, incidents so that crowdsourced data can actually be used to, to allow us to identify accidents quicker and get into people, uh, responding to people with ambulances and emergency services through that technology. But the important point of that, other than its inherent value, is the approach that we took was, wherever possible reusing technology and we had goodwill from the with the private sector organization provide that data for free and we entirely reuse existing technology so the net cost of that project rolling out to every police force fire service ambulance service in the country was yeah. a net incremental total of zero we did it in sub two months we enhanced the capability across the piece that does it's Bad news travels fast. Good news almost doesn't get noticed. Yeah. Um, there are examples where we're using this technology in, in incredibly powerful ways, and that is the tip of the iceberg of where we can take this down. 
Fantastic. I think it's a great place to leave it. Um, if someone wanted to get in, in contact with you, what would be the best way to do that? Yeah, they can just come to the website, uh, cliff42, uh, that's uh, the number42.com, uh, um, or, or just email me, simon at cliff42.com. So where does the 42 come from? It, uh, so it's about avoiding um, uh, going off cliff, cliff edge through situational awareness, and actually it's about asking better questions. And that okay. goes to, well, the ultimate question of life, the universe, everything, is uh, what the answer is 42. It's not the answer, it's about asking the right questions. Well, super. Well, thank you very much for having your, uh, giving us your time today, and it's been great listening to you. Thank you. Been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.